it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Is your host. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, healthcare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to geneseehealthplan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. We've got a great show in store. As uh, most people know, uh, former Vice President Joe Biden has made his selection for uh, his running mate, Kamala Harris, and uh, as they attempt to... um, create the kind of partnership that he that he had with Barack Obama we're going to uh, do an encore in the third hour of the show today with uh, Stephen Levingston who wrote the book Barack and Joe and talk about that relationship in the uh, middle hour the uh, second hour of our show we're going to talk with um, uh, foodie Bonnie Tob Dix about uh, some healthy snack hacks for uh, while we're living through this pandemic. But first up, this hour, we're going to talk about the uh, recently uh, concluded session of the Supreme Court of the United States with uh, constitutional law professor and um, international media commentator <laughs> <laughs> Brendan Beery, who joins me by phone. Brendan, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. How are you doing? Good, um, and and I'm glad to have you back. I'm glad that that you remember us uh, now that you're a uh, a global uh, brand. Yeah, right, right. I got I, one appearance in Seoul, South Korea, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that makes me international guru. That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> hey, it's all up from here, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, let's let's talk about this a little bit. The Supreme Court is in. Uh, in recess until they resume on the first Monday of October. And and so the session is done, and as we've talked before, there's stuff that goes on. I mean, it's it's not like they just put the whole place on mothballs for the summer. But, um, but, uh, but they're done hearing cases. And where did we... Uh, there's a few things that I want to talk about. Where we left off... You know what, what, what they got done, what they pushed to the next session, and what they just refused to hear. 
Um, but I also want to talk about a couple of cases I've been meaning to bring up the last couple times we've talked about where there was a unanimous decision because almost every decision we read about is uh, 5-4. So um, where do you want to start <clears throat> unpacking all that? Let's. How about we start with uh, what, what the uh, Supremes were able to accomplish before and uh, during the pandemic? Yeah, they... They managed to get through it, uh, like I guess like all of us. <clears throat> they uh, innovated a little bit. Uh, I wouldn't call it the highest tech approach, but that's kind of what you'd expect from the Supreme Court. They, did, they uh, basically did arguments telephonically. Um, so they avoided, uh, you know, I think most of the country is doing Zoom or, or you know, WebEx, <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, so we didn't get a visual, uh, but um, they did manage to get through uh the last time we talked, uh, I think we mentioned one of the one of the interesting things. What was that? Uh, the the way that uh, the Supreme Court was functioning during oral argument actually got uh, Justice Clarence Thomas to start talking because right, right. Uh, because uh, the Chief Justice was calling on each justice uh, instead of uh, looking for verbal or nonverbal cues. Um, so. Uh, so they got through it. They they made the decisions. Uh, you know, the, so there were some big decisions that came down. Uh, obviously, the Title VII case about uh, sexual orientation being sex, and then the abortion case out of Louisiana. And since the last time we talked, of course, the big cases were the were the cases involving uh, subpoenas issued to financial institutions uh, in possession of the president's financial information. So uh, they got a lot done. <clears throat> I think the the consensus sort of among um, court watchers uh, would be they didn't punt on a lot, um, uh, but uh, but once again we see the importance of John Roberts in this court. Uh, only a couple times uh, in 53 cases. Incidentally, 53 cases uh, is the fewest in many years. Uh, so the the court is continuing. <laughs> it's, Right, in that direction of hearing fewer and fewer cases. Is is that a trend, or, or is that, uh, can we chalk that up to COVID? Yeah, that's going to be an interesting question, because it, uh, it already was going down. Uh, you know, there was a time when we were in triple digits. Um, uh, in recent years, it's been hovering in that 80 range, 80 cases. Uh, so 53 is, is a definite, you know, uh, departure from the norm. I, and, uh, uh but it is, you know, the, the trend line was heading in that direction. Uh, I think I think COVID accelerated it. Um, but one thing people want to uh, keep in mind is, you know, the Supreme Court, it, it's kind of, you know, uh, other judges uh, are going to be pretty jealous of them because they, you know, your typical judge <coughs> doesn't have a choice uh, what cases to hear, right? If a case lands on your docket, then you hear the case. Um, the Supreme Court has to do what we call grant cert, certiorari, um, which is to certify the case for appeal. In other words, they hear the cases they want to hear, they don't hear the cases they don't want to hear. Um, so, uh, so they don't have to hear, you know, 100, 200 cases per term. Uh, they only have to hear the ones that they think really cry out for Supreme Court uh, resolution. T typically, that would mean there's a split uh, among lower courts, either lower federal courts or state supreme courts, right, on some kind of a federal question, <clears throat> when that kind of thing evolves where you've got, uh, you know, a dozen different courts um, holding a, do a dozen different ways on the same federal question, 
uh, that that's when typically the Supreme Court will intervene, or when it's just a really big deal, like the Trump tax uh, and, and financial documents cases. Um, so, so yeah, uh, but in those 53 cases, um, John Roberts only dissented a, a couple of times. Uh, so we know who the new swing justice is, to your point, right? I meant so many of these decisions are 5-4. <clears throat> I think the biggest surprise of the term was the case that you and I talked about uh, before with, uh, you know, the, the court holding 6-3, to three, uh, that sexual orientation counts as sex for purposes of <clears throat> sex discrimination under civil rights laws. Um, that was a surprise because Gorsuch wrote it and Roberts uh, concurred but uh, with, with Gorsuch. But um, other than that, you know, <clears throat> the abortion case was 5-4. You know, so we're still there. These big uh, social, you know, hot-button uh, uh, cases, whether they're about marriage or abortion, um, a lot of the cases about religion, uh, those just tend to be 5-4 uh, along predictable lines. Except for the surprise, this uh, and and it was a surprise this last session because it was more than once that Chief Justice Roberts kind of played the role of uh, former Justice Kennedy. Right, that was especially pronounced in the abortion case because that, he flipped his vote. Uh, you know, and, and only four years ago uh, he voted to uphold a law. Uh, that was identical to the uh, law in Louisiana, just to refresh people's memory. Um, Louisiana had a law that an, a, a doctor who's going to perform an abortion has to have admitting privileges at a nearby hospital. Uh, uh, Texas had an absolutely identi identical law on its books four years ago. Uh, in that case, the Supreme Court struck down Texas's law as a, as a violation of a woman's right to terminate a pregnancy because it was, it was closing down clinics. Um, that requirement was causing clinics to close. Um, in that case, John Roberts uh, voted with uh, the conservatives to say that there was nothing wrong with Texas's law as a constitutional matter. Um, so along comes this Louisiana law. Of course, what happened is advocates uh, on the pro-life side thought, well, this is our golden opportunity. Uh, Kennedy is gone. He had, he had voted to strike down the Texas law. He's gone. He's been replaced by Kavanaugh. We all know how Kavanaugh feels about uh, abortion. Uh, so, so pro-life advocates thought, okay, we finally have the votes. We've got the five. Um, but Roberts flipped, um, and he flipped because <laughs> I think Tom, if, if you and I had a dollar for every time we said these words, right? Uh, he's an institutionalist and an incrementalist, right? You know, and uh, and he didn't want to. Uh, he didn't want the Supreme Court in the space of four years uh, to be ruling opposite ways on the same question. Um, so yes, he's uh, he is he is where Kennedy used to be, and that's funny. And it keeps moving a little bit, you know, to the right. I think most people would agree. Uh, it used to be O'Connor was the swing vote uh, when she was on the court, and Kennedy was sort of reliably with the conservatives. Then she uh, retired, and Kennedy took that role. <clears throat> um, and uh, once Kennedy retired, you know, now it's up to John Roberts because. The other four conservatives are to the right of him, and, and and it's interesting that 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 appears to be a mantle to pick up. Right, right, <laughs> and it's interesting that they do it. You know, <laughs> yeah, that somebody is going to be right. there to to uh, ensure that that role survives, and and that may have something to do with uh, um, institution uh, and culture. Um, right, right. 
that's one of the things that's important about talking about these cases and paying attention to these cases in in the case uh, in the abortion case for example and doctors having admitting privileges before hearing about this case and seeing it parsed out by the by the supreme court i would have assumed that all doctors had admitting privileges at at a hospital right. nearby yep um as you know as a contractual matter uh, many of them do um the problem is hospitals the hospitals themselves set the policy as to um who gets admitting privileges to the hospital obviously a doctor an er doctor right? uh can admit patients but the question is what about doctors from outside and the the what what louisiana was arguing in texas before before them was that it streamlines the process the court didn't buy that um because if you're if you're suffering a hemorrhaging or an emer- a medical emergency, you're going to get admitted, <clears throat> no matter what. Um, but uh, hospitals typically restrict, and this was one of the things the court talked about in the in the case. Um, uh, hospitals typically restrict admitting privileges to doctors who actually send business their way, if you will, <laughs> right? Who who routinely um, right uh, sure. send patients to the hospital. Um, and it turns out, and this this cut against Louisiana and Texas before it, uh, it turns out that uh, abortion uh, abortions are so safe, uh, and you know, medical emergencies are so rare that most doctors who perform abortions don't qualify for admitting privileges because they're never sending anybody to the hospital. Um, so, so yeah, so it's, it turns out no, um, you know, just not any md um has admitting privileges it's it's a hospital by hospital decision uh who gets to admit to that hospital out of the you know we talked about high profile cases and and the number of cases when we read headlines about a supreme court case the decision is almost always 5 to 4 but out of the uh <coughs> the 53 which is historically low this last session um how many of those cases have have a different result. Uh, I want to bring up. Uh, we're we're getting close to break, and I want to get into the ones where they were unanimous decisions. But how many of those fifty three are likely to be five four? Um, not you know, it's it's probably not as many as people would think. <clears throat> because, That's what I was wondering. Yeah, because you're right. That the headliners, <clears throat> the the abortion cases and marriage cases, that stuff. The, and the and the, the Trump cases, right? The religion cases, the, the stuff that makes the front page. That's those are going to be five four decisions. But uh, the court hears a whole lot, and maybe this is where we ought to pick up. That not every case the Supreme Court hears is a constitutional case, right? And those are the big ones. And by the way, that's my area, right? I don't I don't I don't follow every Supreme Court case because uh, I'm I'm a constitutional law guy. But they uh, the Supreme Court hears an awful lot of cases about federal statutes, federal administrative rules, federal treaties, um, right, conflicts uh, between, between states. Uh, citizens of different states, yeah. right. Um, so, well, hey, let's, let's so there's, uh, there's more to it. Let's go ahead and put the comma there. I have to take a short break, but we're going to come back and talk some more about the last, uh, this recent session of the Supreme Court, what, uh, what happened, and uh, what's coming up next for them with constitutional law professor Brendan Beery right after this. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Your calls matter. Join me and Andrea weekdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern to talk about whatever you want to talk about. The Tom Sumner Program has open phone lines Monday through Friday to hear from you. How's 2020 working out for you so far? How about those damn roads? Call in live at 810-339-8255. It's all about you. We'll be streaming live at TomSumnerProgram.com and simulcast on WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint. Foil hats are optional. You thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again, this time from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, hear Elvis from Graceland in the Sky, soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, early gate rock, all dug up, lying in the chapel, and 11 others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up. Yes, the king inside. A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send $9.95 in checker money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use Master Charge or Visa, Canadian Residence, add $3. 
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Tom Sumner program.com The Tom Sumner program.com This is Congressman Dan Kildee and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue now with our conversation about the Supreme Court's recent uh, session with a uh, constitutional law professor from uh, WMU Cooley Law in Tampa, Brendan Beery. Brendan, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sure, my pleasure. Um, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about five, four cases that we see mm-hmm. so often, and it's it's... We see them so often because those tend to be the ones that are controversial and get a lot of headlines. But there are a lot of cases um, that that have a different outcome. Um, right. They're they're not you know kind of one way or the other. Um, it, w- there were a couple of high profile ones uh, though during this last session where there was a unanimous decision and that's somewhat rare for those to to come out and be talked about yeah for that's right because uh, when it's unanimous that usually means well obviously that there's consensus uh, it's not terribly controversial uh, i was just looking at some statistics um i don't have the statistics for this last term in front of me but uh there have been studies done and it's, it turns out that um about 36 percent uh, of Supreme Court decisions uh, in recent years uh, have been uh, nine nothing, um, and only nineteen percent have been five to four. Uh, so you know that, I, that's uh, that, that's it's 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 funny, Brendan, because I've heard legislators say the same things. You know, there, <laughs> there's all this deadlock. You know, especially with like like for example, the Michigan. Uh, uh, state legislature is uh, dominated by Republicans, and so it's very hard for Democrats to get anything passed. And yet, when I talk to legislators, they say, "Yeah, that's the way it looks." You know, when you read the headlines, but mm-hmm. you know, in everyday life, we're passing bipartisan stuff every day. Right, right, and uh, and that's one of the things <clears throat> that certainly. John Roberts keeps an eye on. You know, he actually, and this is this is well known in legal circles. Uh, he goes out of his way to try to get the court to grant cert. That's what I was talking about earlier to to uh, certify cases to come up to the Supreme Court. Um, he he tries to get his colleagues to to. Uh, I should set it up this way with <laughs> a little bit of background. It takes four Supreme Court justices to agree to hear a case. So obviously it takes five, right, to, to decide the case out of the nine, but only four of them have to agree to hear a case before the, that case will be put on the Supreme Court's docket and set for argument. He tries to get three others, <laughs> at least three others, to go along with him. He has his clerks look for, uh, look for cases where he thinks that the court can easily decide the case um, and reach a consensus because he wants that uh, he wants to keep that going. He wants to. He wants to be able to cite those statistics uh, to say, "Look, there's comedy on this court. That's comedy, not comedy." <laughs> <laughs> uh, right? Uh, you know, we get along. We we uh, <clears throat> you know we uh, listen to one another. We and and he wants uh, you know 
we've talked about this before too. I mean, the Supreme Court doesn't have an army. Uh, it, it doesn't have the power of the purse. Uh, you know, it, it has only the power, uh, right, that, frankly, that the other branches concede to it. Um, so they really rely, uh, you know, on their credibility and their reputation and their institutional integrity. Um, and that is something that I don't, I think most justices are sensitive to it, but of course the chief justice is always the most sensitive to it. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, Roberts is, is quite good at uh, seeking out cases where they can build consensus and, and then actually building consensus, right, when they're uh, conferencing and trying to make a decision uh, on a case. I'm trying to remember which, which two cases uh, uh, made it into the news um, that that had a nine nothing vote or a unanimous vote, um, and and I, I I've I've lost it. I, I'm not sure no. that I can remember which of the uh, which those cases were, um, and perhaps you can remember. Uh, but yeah. of those two cases, w- were either or both of those surprises that it was a unanimous vote? Um, I, I'm not sure it was. I, the one that comes immediately to mind is the Bridgegate uh, case out of New Jersey. I don't know if that's one of the ones you were thinking about, um, where the Supreme Court, you know, the, the two uh, staffers for Chris Christie who right. shut down the uh, bridge, uh, and they were convicted <coughs> uh, under a federal fraud, uh, a couple of federal fraud statutes. Um, you know, the the I suppose you could say there's a, there's somewhat of a surprise because that you know obviously a trial judge upheld that those convictions a federal court of appeals upheld those convictions uh that being the case it's kind of, it would be kind of unusual for the supreme court you know unanimously to smack down right the lower courts um but that's an interesting case uh in in the new jersey uh uh again and that we call it, you know colloquially colloquially call it bridgegate <clears throat> it's funny you know that was such a big deal it now seems like it was a couple decades ago i know uh but it really it's uh, but it was pretty recent um uh where you know uh, uh the governor christie's office retaliated against a uh, mayor the mayor of fort lee for not endorsing governor christie by shutting down uh lanes of traffic um across the george washington bridge causing a big uh to do and uh <clears throat> um the people who set that up which of course uh caused uh you know ambulances not to be able to uh, get to where they needed to go and school buses <laughs> and all that so it, it caused havoc and it was dangerous uh so the people who did that were were prosecuted and convicted under federal fraud uh statutes and what the supreme court said <clears throat> and this is an important point when you look at that case and this is kind of what i was saying before the break you have these big constitutional cases about religion, marriage, abortion, rights, speech, things like that, um, where there's a lot of attention paid. But in this case, in the Bridgegate case, the court was not interpreting the Constitution. The court was interpreting federal broad statutes. Um, what the lower courts had said was that uh, they, they these uh, people were guilty of fraud because they had uh, abuse their power to deprive New Jersey, New, the New Jersey Transit Authority, <coughs> of its property, namely all of the extra money it had to spend, uh, right, to, to deal with the mess um, and the use of, of uh, right, lanes of traffic. What the court said um, was, and I believe it was Kagan who authored the 9-0 opinion, 
was that under federal fraud statutes, it's not enough that you deprive somebody of their property. You have to try to obtain it for yourself. Um, and although these people <clears throat> arguably deprive New Jersey of the use of its money and its and its property, uh, they weren't out to, uh, you know, it wasn't a bribe or a kickback type of a situation. And what the court said, you're not supposed to use federal fraud statutes in criminal cases <laughs> except for those types of situations. And, yeah, if uh, they'd have sold the bridge to somebody else. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's exactly right. That's right. So, but there, there you see, you know, what happens is when the justices are interpreting, you know, uh, there's no, I, I don't know if this makes sense, there's no ideology behind interpreting a federal fraud statute. You know what I mean? There's no, <laughs> you don't bring your, your personal, uh, you know, uh, life experience and your own uh, opinions to the table about it because you probably don't have one, uh, right? It's just a statute. You just, and your, what about, your job when you're interpreting a statute is just to see what it means. In That's cases that. like that, what about precedent? <clears throat> yes, uh, and that that's a lot easier then, right? Just to say, well, um, you know, we in, in a case like this, and, and by the way, in, in that Bridgegate case, the court did say that. So we have now repeatedly told lower courts, stop using federal fraud statutes to prosecute people Right, unless there's a kickback or a bribe, um, and and the the tone was sort of we're tired of saying it, uh, <laughs> so, you know, but yeah, when there's no when there's no, um, you know, there, you know, when when a judge is interpreting the religion clauses of the Constitution, let's not kid ourselves, right? They, every judge comes at that with his or her own bent, right? <laughs> sure. On 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 what they mean and how they should be interpreted. Um, and so that's where you get these, you know, five, four decisions, because uh, presidents tend to appoint uh, Supreme Court justices who are ideologically aligned with them. Um, you know, you, 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 you see uh, the Supreme Court dealing with some, you know, I, I, I take some, uh, <laughs> some incoming from tax professors sometimes, because I say this all the time, but, you know, if the Supreme Court is ruling on a tax case, a provision of the tax code or bankruptcy or trademark, you know, these are these are common issues up at the Supreme Court. You're not going to see a five-four split, right? <laughs> on trademark law, right? It's probably going to be eight to one, seven to two, nine to zero. Um, <clears throat> so, it is interesting, and to some extent, it's window dressing, right? I mean, when I say um, the court takes, you know, uh, the Chief Justice tries to make sure that the court takes up, uh, right, uh, cases where the where justices, um, right, can can reach consensus that's true um but it's also true that you know and this is sort of the core of what we're talking about in the really big cases nine nothing is rare in the um have you thought of what the other one was there was another uh another big case that came down nine to zero bridgegate was uh the one i was thinking of um but it seems like there was another one that came in after that that was nine to zero and still made headlines. Yeah, it's not coming to mind. Okay. Um, well, we we can move on from from that because there there was another area that came up, and I think <clears throat> the uh, court decided not to address it. That had to do with this uh, trend of redrawing uh, districts and and voting and mail in voting and all of that. I think. Um, maybe it was uh, the GOP. It could have been the the 
from the White House, but somebody uh, challenged the notion of uh, expanding uh, absentee voting and and early voting and mail-in voting, and the court kind of blew it off, and I thought I read somewhere where someone opined that... um, that the court really shouldn't weigh in on issues mm-hmm. related to voting, that that was something best left to the uh, legislature and, and uh, the states and so on. That and, and there was this hint that a lot of this is being done because of COVID-19, and they didn't want to make a permanent decision about something that may be a temporary issue right right um then that makes some sense uh there and there have been you know there's going to be uh, this cut co- this coming election is going to be uh i i hate to be pessimistic but <clears throat> it's going to present a lot of challenges let's put it that way for for the federal courts um what's uh there was a case out of wisconsin that that drew a lot of criticism. Uh, um, Wisconsin uh, had, uh, well, a court in Wisconsin uh, had decided that it was going to, um, yeah, allow uh, mail-in voting and, you know, other ways to accommodate uh, voting in in the midst of a pandemic. (coughs) And the Supreme Court, (coughs) excuse me, shot it down and said, and this was per Roberts, that we don't, that, 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 I, gotta, I have to admit, this doesn't make sense to me. But what the court said was, um, courts are not supposed to interfere on the eve of an election, uh, so clo- very close to the election date, except in extraordinary circumstances. <laughs> so, uh, first of all, what, what, is, what is the eve of an election, right? That, I mean, that's a pretty, uh, uh, that's not a self-defining term. Uh, <clears throat> so... Does that mean within a week, within a month? Uh, but, you know, anyway, the court was saying when we get close to an election, and, and this was the primary election in, was, in Wisconsin, uh, where people might remember that you right. saw people in line wearing masks, you know, holding signs that this is ridiculous. Uh, but um, one would have thought uh, that the worst pandemic uh, in, in our lifetimes would qualify as extraordinary circumstances. <laughs> yeah, how, how is that uh, you know? defined? <laughs> right. Uh, but so you see, absolutely, there, there, there is um, a warning shot across the bow of lower federal courts, uh, right from Roberts. We don't want you messing around in elections. Um, now, you know how far that goes. Well, you know there, there is a problem. I mean, at some point, courts have to intervene. I mean, and they have in the past uh, because the Fourteenth Amendment <coughs> guarantees equal protection. Uh, that the Equal Protection Clause applies to the states. Courts have, uh, you know, since the 1800s, said that uh, equal protection includes the right to uh, equal, you know, equal vote, uh, equal right to vote, right? One person, one vote. So, uh, you know, generally speaking, it's up to states uh, to run elections in, in their own states. But if they do so in a way that is um, obviously depriving people of their right to equality in voting, uh, one person, one vote, that's where courts have to intervene. Um, The the standard courts typically apply, and we'll see if they keep doing this, 
would be that if, uh, if you can show uh, a substantial interference in the right to vote, um, then a court would strictly scrutinize uh, whatever you know, what law or policy was in place. Now, uh, you know, one of the really interesting issues uh, that's going to be coming up here is this, on, on the federal level, um, the president himself appears to be trying to, and, and, and I guess his appointee at the post office, uh, it seems pretty obvious that they're trying to sow doubt, <laughs> to say the least, right? Uh, right, and the ability of the post office to pull this off, and, and maybe there are going to be enough efforts to make sure that the post office doesn't pull it off. At the same time, uh, just yesterday it was reported out of Ohio uh, that the Republican Secretary of State in Ohio issued an edict uh, that, there, that the state is not to have drop-off boxes, um, right, where people can drop off their ballots. So if you have at the federal level um, people trying to torpedo uh, mail-in voting, and at the same time at the state level you have officials uh, trying, right, I mean, uh, trying to promote that, so and expand it. Yeah, right. And and uh, you know, if I'm if I'm a voter in Ohio, and what? So the federal government screws up, uh, right? My mail-in option. So I want to go drop it off at a drop-off box, so I don't have to stand in a line with other people who have COVID nineteen. Um, and I can't do that either. <laughs> so yeah, because there was uh, a lot of that, you know. a lot of that here in Michigan. Um, they had. Uh, um, uh, considerably more absentee ballots during this primary election than they had during the general election in 2016. Right. And right. a lot of those were taken to drop boxes that were outside city halls and township halls, mm -hmm. uh, you know, where, uh, where the various clerk's offices were. Um, I don't right. know that they had them at every polling place or, or that, you know, there were... You know, they were at all the uh, Walgreens and Rite Aids or anything, but 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 there star every Starbucks. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but there were places you could go to drop off mm -hmm. uh, a ballot that was mailed right. to you in advance. Um, right. And uh, you know, I think a lot of people uh, took advantage of that. So that is going to be uh, an issue that will be talked yeah. about. But what about this idea that, um, you know, there are things that come up and actions that are taken during a pandemic that two years from now might not even be factors. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, and I think that's... Yeah. And the court not wanting to, uh, you know, codify measures, um, you know, or decide either for or against measures that are being taken to deal with a temporary situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, I think that they're going to have to parse that out. There, there are some things, uh, you know, generally speaking, you know, the whole issue of mail-in voting and drop boxes is of more a concern, obviously, because of the circumstances we're in, and that we hope is not going to last. Um, on the other hand, you know, systematic efforts to sow chaos and torpedo elections and stop people from voting, and that really is an amazing, I, to me it's an amazing thing for somebody to advocate, right, that we should have fewer days to vote, we should uh, have fewer places to vote, 
you know, fewer ways to vote. I mean, um, that is not something that is limited to this election, right? That's been going on for years, decades, uh, centuries even. Um, and so, I, you know, if, if I'm the, a Supreme Court justice, you know, I, I would be trying to separate out, okay, on the one hand, yeah, we don't want to get carried away. We don't want to, uh, you know, uh, inscribe in stone rulings that, oh, that really only pertain to this situation. By the way, the most famous case where the Supreme Court actually said uh, this only applies to this case was Bush versus Gore, right? <laughs> uh, in, in 2000, right? And they said, but don't, they actually said in their opinion, don't ever cite this opinion <laughs> in any other case in the future. So that only applies to this case. So they don't like to do that. They don't like to issue uh, written opinions, right, that would only apply in, in these cases. But uh, efforts to disenfranchise, um, Right. Intentional efforts and, you know, mischief, to put it mildly. Uh, you know, that's a different story. And um, and courts are going to have to grapple with that. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's entirely possible if if people don't have the option uh, to vote by mail. I've already asked. You know, I've already requested my uh, mail in ballot. Um, and frankly, uh, I would love the Dropbox option. I don't like the idea of putting it back in my mailbox. I want to break, I'd like to have that sensation of actually putting it right in the box where I know where it is. And um, well, and the feeling that you went to vote. You know, for a lot right. of us, going to the polls was, you know, a responsibility that we took pride in fulfilling. Right. And, uh, right. and it's a little different when you just, when you fill out a form and pop it back in the mail. <laughs> right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's, uh, yeah, but, but on the, but on the other side of that, though, Brendan, at least what we experienced in Michigan, and I'm not sure how this plays out in other states, is uh, increased participation. And for right. a couple of years, I've been hearing people talk about, you know, Internet voting and that sort of thing. But direct mail seems so much more secure than right. the Internet where we know people are hacking and getting into people's right. accounts. Um it just seems like uh, like we've actually discovered a way of getting more people to participate in the voting process. Right. And the, the shame of it is that there are politicians who don't want that. Right? <laughs> the, the, you know, the more people participate, the, the less likely they are to win. And uh, Well, one of the reasons so. for that is, you know, at least in Michigan, for example, it is generally considered if more people vote, that's going to be good for Democrats. But right. what we're, I think what we're finding is that during COVID-19, Republicans are mail voting right. in a way that, you know, never could have been predicted. And I, I don't think greater turnout is necessarily going to be the boon to Democrats that they think it is. Right. And we yes. saw that play out fact, in some other states already. Right. And in fact, Florida uh, is one of them. Uh it's been interesting to see that the president uh, flipping on this, right? He, he's yeah, but only but in only Florida, in Florida okay. where he votes. <laughs> That's right. That's right, because he was scaring elderly people. See, elderly people in Florida are not going to get in line with a bunch of uh, people with you know who might have COVID nineteen. They you know well, of course. scared to death. I mean, yeah. Um, and obviously, he needs elderly people. And That's his constituency in the state is is people over sixty five. Um, and so he was scaring them uh, that, you know, they were thinking, well, I'm not going to I'm not going to participate in mail-in voting because the president says it's all a hoax and a fraud. And, 
it's going to be counted for the other side. So, you know, so, somebody finally got to Donald Trump and said, you have to stop scaring <laughs> elderly people in Florida away from mail-in voting. These are your voters. And uh, Brandon, so, yeah, it's, it's dangerous. We, yeah, we've got, we've got to go to another break here. But uh, speaking of sure. elderly people, I want to talk about... Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg when we come back. Uh, (laughs) The Notorious RBG with uh, Brendan Beery when we return. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling authors, photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. 
To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, 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 take it away. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, with me on the line is uh, constitutional law professor Brendan Beery. We've been talking this hour about the Supreme Court's uh, recent session, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna move on and talk about a couple of uh, related topics. Um, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her health, but also the um, what's coming up, uh, what what we can anticipate for the next session when they when they uh, gavel in on uh, the first Monday of October. Um, but let's talk about RBG. She sneaked through another bout with cancer this last session. Right. Um, yeah, and this time liver, uh, it, it sounds like. And uh, that's, you know, uh, it's, she's 87. Um, she has... Uh, now, I mean, repeatedly had had these uh, episodes. Twice it was pancreatic, and I'm sure as that anybody who's <laughs> uh, dealt with that knows. I mean, that's that's a nasty form of uh, cancer. So, I mean, the, and and often uh, considered a death sentence. Right. That's right. Um, and and here she is. Um, and you know, it's it, it's a little bit unseemly because you have these these. <laughs> People on both sides, you know, on the liberal in liberal circles, people are joking about right weekend at Bernie's, right? If anything should should happen, <laughs> right? Uh, right uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then you have you know uh, uh, people on the other side of the ideological spectrum, kind of, uh, you know, you don't want to say wishing her harm, but you know, want, wanting an open seat, certainly. Um, you know, one of the things that Donald Trump has said now. He's disappointed, right? He's disappointed in Neil Gorsuch for writing the uh, the opinion about uh, sex discrimination. He's he's extremely disappointed in John Roberts, who wrote both of the opinions, saying that he's not immune from subpoenas. Um, so you know, so he is uh, you know saying explicitly, we need another judge or two. Um, and of course, you know the. You know, and again, you, you don't want to speculate about this stuff, but you sort of have to. I mean, what happens if there's an opening on the court? Uh, you know, she's 87. Breyer, who who looks around 60 to me, is 81. <laughs> uh, so if Donald Trump is reelected, right, those seats, um, those seats are going uh, right to conservatives. Uh, and obviously, Ginsburg and Breyer are not conservative. Um, uh, but you know what should, what would happen if there was an opening between now and the election? Uh, what would then another interesting question? What would happen if there was an opening between the election and January first? Um, and my money would be on if there's an opening on the court, uh, you know, uh, between now and the election, uh, Mitch McConnell will make sure that it's filled. It'll take him about ten minutes. I'm sure they've already got the names lined up. Um, and even if uh, my my guess would be, even if 
uh, Donald Trump were to lose the election on November 3rd, uh, and then there, would, there was an opening, um, you know, they, the Republicans would still have the votes to put a Supreme Court justice on the court. Um, during lame duck. Uh, right, during lame duck, right, until the uh, beginning of January. So, uh, you know, would they do it? I mean, Mitch McConnell seems to have indicated that they would. Um, now, the, the, you know, the, there's going to be political, if they do that, um, and Democrats somehow regain control of the Senate uh, and also control the House and the White House, then what people want to look for is do Democrats actually go to, you know, what would have in, in past times been considered sort of a nuclear option and change the number of justices uh, on the Supreme Court? Uh, I get that question a lot. Uh, you know, do there have to be nine justices on the Supreme Court? And the answer is no. Uh, it is up to Congress to decide how many justices <laughs> are on the Supreme Court. And if Democrats take the Senate, get rid of the filibuster, um, which they're talking about doing, um, then absolutely they could change the number. And, and I wouldn't blame them for doing it. If, if Republicans were to jam through uh, uh, an appointment during the lame duck uh, period, after not allowing uh, Merrick Garland, remember that? <laughs> well, and both right, parties right. have pulled that, uh, you know, we can't yeah. do this during an election or during the right, right. duck. Um, but what happens if, uh, as, as some pollsters are predicting, and, and you alluded to it, if the Senate flips to uh, mm -hmm. Democrats and uh, Biden wins the White House, do you think um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg will step down? Yes, uh, I think uh, I don't think there's any question about it. I mean, it's it's funny. I mean, people asked her before the last election, you know. I mean, because already she had already had right these uh, these uh, episodes with pancreatic cancer, uh, and people asked her, you know, openly asked her, you know, don't you think it's time to maybe right? <laughs> well, Barack Obama still has right is still in the White House for you to to step aside, and she said no. Um, I feel up to the job, and I'm sure that the next president will be a perfectly lovely person. <laughs> uh, so she stuck around, and now, you know, so, um, you know, there's no question that, that she regrets. Uh, I shouldn't say there's no question. It would, uh, I can't imagine. Right. That she probably, she at, at the very least, she has probably second-guessed that decision. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right, and... Uh, yeah, and you know the the way things seesaw in this country, right? We're just going to kind of swing wildly from one uh, end of the spectrum to the other. Um, you know, these and, and uh, one of the things that is also curious to me is uh, Clarence Thomas. I thought he would have stepped down by now. Um, you know, people, you know, in his circle, uh, you know, it's pretty common for people to say he really doesn't enjoy being on the court anymore. He wants to travel around the country in an RV with his wife. <laughs> right. uh, but if he's sticking around until the end of this term, you know, he could very well wind up being replaced by a Democrat. So then, then you see the opposite thing happening, right? Because uh, lately you've seen you know, the, the courts moving to the right. Um, but if Justice Thomas were uh, replaced um, by, let's say, a Joe Biden, well, then you see a, a real flip Right, a real switch on the court in the opposite direction. So, those are the ones to watch: Thomas, um, uh, Ginsburg, and Breyer. Uh, you know, uh, I've even heard some, uh, some rumors that Alito, uh, you know, uh, doesn't want to be on the court for too many more years. So, um, 
you know, these are not spring chickens. And uh, so there's a, there's a lot of things. This is why when people say elections don't matter, it just drives me nuts. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, I mean, <laughs> and that, this is just one example of how they matter. Right, right, um, right. But uh, in, in the remaining minutes that we have, uh, and it's just a couple, um, did anything, you, you mentioned at the beginning of the hour that the Supreme Court really didn't punt a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. But are there things that we can anticipate coming up in the next session in October? Yeah, the, the big issues uh, that uh, I think that people want to watch for, I've mentioned it a couple times now, but religion. Um, the Supreme Court is definitely evolving on uh, religion. And there are two religion clauses. There's the Establishment Clause, which says the government shouldn't, basically shouldn't promote religion or pick a religion. Um, and free exercise clause, which says the government should not mess around with people when they practice their religion or discriminate against them based on, on their beliefs. Um, what's happening uh, is that under the establishment clause, the court is getting much more tolerant of government support of religion. And under free exercise, the court is, is starting to take a much broader view of uh, what it means to be discriminated against right, on the basis of your beliefs. So. I would expect um, that the court will take up religion cases so it can continue to develop uh, in that area. Uh, then election law absolutely is going to be, there's no question that there's going to be more of that. The third thing I would be looking for would be more cases on executive power. Um, because, you know, as we've now had a, the opportunity to talk about throughout <laughs> most of uh, Trump's administration, um, there are all kinds of issues uh, some of them are, are a bit in the weeds, as I say, you know, uh, issues dealing with the Administrative Procedures Act and things like that. Well, and, about, and about we're seeing a real, a real good potential for that in uh, the recent executive orders about uh, COVID relief. You got it. That's right. That's going to be that's going to be huge. Uh, so and, you know, there's yeah, he issued some memos and an executive order. Um, the really big questions about whether those are constitutional, um, you know, at, at a very fundamental level. Uh, there, there are two problems there. One is wrong branch, right? <laughs> it's up to Congress to pass laws. Uh, the president doesn't appropriate money. Congress does that. Um, and also issues about federalism, which is not just the wrong branch of the, of the government, but the wrong level of government. You know, what, what type of stuff is the federal government supposed to be doing uh, versus states, and uh, so yeah, there's there's plenty to come here in the next term, and and it's going to be exciting for court watchers. Well, Brendan, uh, well, I guess we'll leave it there. But uh, it's always a pleasure to get a chance to talk with you. Thanks for spending this uh, hour with me this morning. Um, glad I could tear you away from South Korea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, all right. Uh, sounds good. I'm happy to be here. And and I'm looking forward to uh, the next time we get together. Thanks again, Brendan. Me too. Me too. Thank you. Be safe. That was Brendan Beery, a constitutional law professor at WMU Cooley Law in Tampa and our regular go-to guy on all things involving the U.S. Supreme Court. Hear ye! Hear ye! The court's in session. The court's in session now. Here come the judge. Here come the judge. Here come the judge. Stop eating that fudge. Cause 
trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. It's 